After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Thank you, Evan. Today's guest is Kent Unterman. In 1980, Kent was recruited out of the San Francisco Bay Area to play football at the University of Hawaii. He signed with the Dallas Cowboys as a free agent in 1985. However, shortly into his NFL debut, he sustained a career-ending leg injury. He turned this into an opportunity to spend time with his wife, Lori, and started a small business selling artwork on weekends at the Aloha Stadium swap meet. He realized a niche in the market and decided to go for broke. With his $5,000 signing bonus from the Dallas Cowboys, Kent started the business, which is now known as Pictures Plus. Pictures Plus is now a $14 million per year business. Kent has been recognized by the Small Business Administration as Hawaii's Small Business Exporter of the Year, was recognized in Atlanta, Georgia, with capturing two of seven national awards in the framing industry, and in Decor Magazine as being in the top 100 art and framing retailers in the nation. Please welcome today's guest, Kent Unterman. So Kent, let's start off with your NFL career. How long did that last? Uh, it was about three days, I think. It was no, it was it was a pretty short career. I had uh, was trying out with the Cowboys and was doing very well initially in training camp, and then unfortunately I pulled my hamstring real bad, and that was when Tom Landry was the coach. And so he had recommended. He said, "Hey, we like what we see." My leg was not progressing when I came back for fall camp; it was still in bad shape, and so he'd recommend I came back the next year, which I had intended to do. And unfortunately, my leg wasn't really cooperating. I just felt like it was time to move on with my life. And do you miss the NFL today? Oh, no. I uh, look at those guys. I'm just very glad I'm not butting heads with them because uh, they're much bigger, stronger, and faster. And decided a long time ago, I made that decision that I was never going to look back. I really enjoyed what I had in the islands at the University of Hawaii. provided me with a lot of great memories, and uh, it was time to move on. So were you de- at the time, were you kind of depressed or were you like, oh, it's just time to, time to go? Did you have any feeling of, oh, this sucks at all? I mean, Well, not really. I'm not, I guess one of my probably strengths is being optimistic, right? So I always look at, I try to always look at the positive things in life. And there's two ways I could have looked. I could have looked at it and said, oh, poor me. But the reality is, as I thought about it, sooner or later you're going to have to retire from playing football. Some Kids play Pop Warner, some make it to high school, some are fortunate to go to college, and some are even more fortunate to play in the NFL. And in my heart, I knew that I was good enough if, if I was able to stay healthy and I wasn't. So I, I made a conscious decision at that point because otherwise I would have continued to try and, you know, and fulfill that dream. But I, I really wanted to rechannel my energy into, into business. Did your wife have something to do with that or was it a personal decision? Uh, no, it was definitely a personal decision. She supported me either way. She didn't uh, recommend that I that I not continue that dream. Actually, my father, of course, wanted me to continue to play uh, pro football. My grandmother was telling she was the happiest lady in the world when I told her that that I was done. And my wife was very neutral, which is probably probably the best place for her to be. 
So how did the Pictures Plus thing come about then? You came back to the islands, and then you said, I'm going to start selling things at the swap meet just on the side, or you always knew that it was going to turn into something larger? Oh, it was definitely an evolution. There was uh, not a lot of method to the madness. Um, what actually happened was I came back with the intent of going back to the NFL, and I had taken some part-time jobs. A part-time job that I took uh, was catering to a, the Ford Motor Company, and the folks from Ford gave me a bunch of merchandise and said, Kent, this is going to be more expensive to ship it back to Michigan than it is to just dispose of it. So they gave me the merchandise, beach towels, linens, canvas bags. I took it out of the swap meet and sold it. That's really how it all began. So you weren't selling artwork to start? No, that's where it was. Uh, most of what I've done in business has been very opportunistic. So I can't tell you how to business plan. And in college, I studied art and wanted to be in the art business. That's Actually, I avoided the art classes because they were too uh, subjective for me. I like mathematics, where one plus one was definitely two. So after selling those beach towels and bags and things that were given to you, are pictures the next thing that you started with? Yeah, it was a definite evolution. So I got all of these free goods, right, and would go out there and make $400 <laughs> in a day, no cost of goods sold, and I was you know, 21 or 2 years old, and I thought, hey, this is terrific. You know, This is pay dirt. Uh, but I always wanted to be in business, and I thought, as long as I'm already going to the swap meet, why don't I you know, have some more goods there? So I started to go to auctions and buy and sell things at auctions and, and was having some success with that. But the problem was, just when I got good at learning how to sell something, I would be out of it, and I'd have to look for my next opportunity. So I wanted to get something that was more consistent. And at the time, they were selling low-end art uh, that was about uh, $6 each. And you had, but you had to, to get in, you had to buy them by the container load. So that, that was where I kind of the, the starting point of getting the art business. I bought a whole container load of framed artwork. And you got that for the 5000 no, actually, the 5000 I leveraged into buying and selling things at the swap meet, which I grew to probably about 20000 The first container load was 35000 And at the time, I had a couple of ex-football buddies, uh, Joe Nobles and Tom McCarthy, who were my partners. And when I looked at buying a full container, that was $35,000. And so I went to friends and uh, family members and told them I'd give them 40% return over six months if they would loan me the $15,000. At that point, I went to Joe and Tom and said, "Hey, this is this is real business now. You know, this isn't just buddy buddy stuff." And so they they decided that they didn't want to be liable for that fifteen thousand. We bought them out for a couple thousand dollars and uh, and took over from there. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Radio.
You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Kent Enterman. In 1980, Kent was recruited out of the San Francisco Bay Area to play football for the University of Hawaii and later entered in the NFL. Because of a leg injury, he cut his NFL career short and started selling artwork at the Aloha Stadium swap meet. He took his NFL $5,000 signing bonus and turned it into a $14 million business known as Pictures Plus. So how long was that evolution then from the time you got the towels to the time you bought that container? That is a good question, Evan. I I'm, apologize. I don't think I know what that is. But it would be somewhere in the 12-month range, I would say. I mean, it wasn't a long period of time. It was probably a That's year. That's fast. Yeah. Yeah, it was pr- pretty fast. Did it fast. feel like it happened really quickly as well? No, because things never happen as fast as oh. I want them to. But, so, I mean, did you just get everything kept selling and selling and selling? Was everything, I mean, you never had any stock left over? So were you thinking like, Oh, I've got the magic touch. Is that kind of how? Well, uh, my grandmother taught me something way back that I've never forgotten, and, and that was uh, well-bought is half-sold. And so the, the whole theory of what I was buying and selling at the time, if, if I'd go to an auction and I would buy something at a low price, it was always easy to sell it and make money. One, one kind of funny story I have with my wife. My wife's very conservative by nature, unlike me. That's why we make a perfect couple. Um and we were at an auction. They had this was actually job lot for those that you know have, might have to be around the islands a little longer. Remember job lot? They were a, a discounter of excess merchandise, and they fell on hard financial times. So they were auctioning off some of their things, and they had these little arm hunger teddy bears. They had twelve hundred of them, and I was bidding on them at fifty five cents each. And my wife was literally tugging my arm down, like, "Don't bid on these twelve hundred. That's too many of them." And I turned to her real quickly because I couldn't lose the bid and said, honey, would you buy 120 of these at $6.60 each? And she said, yeah, sure. I said, okay, well, we're getting the other 1280 for free. Now, can you let go of my arm so I can buy them? And we bought them, and it ended up actually doing fairly well with them. So so were there a lot of people at these auctions or any, um, like same guys showing up all the time? No, there was just different people, and you, know, you just have to be real opportunistic at the auctions and look for things and do your homework on them because – at an auction, things happen real quickly. So either, either a, a good deal happens, or um, and then you miss it. Or the other thing that happens is that uh, people get uh, emotional and bid too high. Mm-hmm. So the progression then, how did you actually find the supplier that you're going to buy a container from? Well, that was the other thing. You know, that was before uh, you could Google things on the internet, yeah. right? So it was uh, sourcing was a was a kind of a gift at the time. Fortunately, I was pretty relentless. I'm trying to remember how I actually got in touch because I had seen these that were being sold on street corners, and so I'd approached the vendors, and they said they were going to sell them to me for 5% less than they're selling them for, and obviously there's no margin in there for me to, to make any money. Mm-hmm. So somehow I, I tracked these guys down in Detroit where they, where they made these by the container load. So it's like a stealth operation kind of? Because back then you can't Google things. I mean, it's, even mail order is advanced at that, that time. Well, you know, like sourcing anything, I mean, if you're relentless enough, you, you can find out where it was. So I'd go from one thing to another, find out who's, who sells glass, well, who's selling prints, and then open up something, look on the bottom of print and find out who the print distributor is, and then go to the print distributor. And I think that's actually how I found a phone number that ultimately linked me to these folks. Being that you said that you didn't spend a lot of time in the art class or, at, you know, classes that were offering these type of things, um, how did you know what would sell and the value that you could offer to your customers? 
Well, I've always been very value oriented. I've always you know wanted to be in a business where we can give tremendous value to our our customer. Uh, if I if I my original dream was probably to have something more like Costco until I walked into Costco and said, "Hey, these guys are doing a great job of this. This is done right." But the pictures at the time were only six dollars, and so I just felt that that product would lend itself really well to the swap meet because people that go to the swap meet, by and large, they want a deal, right? You go there, it's hot, it's sunny, it's windy, it's all the rest of the things, and you want to get a deal when you're at the swap meet. So I, I felt I was compelled to believe that that product would do very well at the swap meet. So your container, when you brought it in, you you meant to sell it at the swap meet. Yes, our whole uh, channel of distribution was intended to be at the swap meet. So we brought in seven thousand pictures and bet that we could. Turn How big was your swap. booth then? Was it? You know, well, it grew over. Boots? Yeah, it grew over time, uh, Evan. It got it got huge. At first, it was uh, one stall, and then two stalls, and three. Ultimately, to four stalls, which is actually eight parking stalls, and it was probably a thousand square feet. We had a big semi truck that we drove out there. Mm-hmm. It would take you know three of us two hours to set it all up. Because that's a logistics issue, right? I mean, you have tons of of small items going into such a large space every weekend. Right. We had every all, day, actually. All, all sorts of contraptions. We had things. Uh, fortunately, our weightlifting came into play because we had shelves with all sorts of pictures and artwork on it that we would haul in and out of there. So I had some of my old football buddies that had, still had some muscles left, and we uh, <laughs> we stayed in shape. Actually, um, related to that, kind of an interesting story, Eugene Price, who's a uh, important person in our operation and, and runs our factory, played football with him. He actually originally came out to help me at the swap meet to lose weight on the weekends, and he's still with me today. <laughs> he hasn't lost a lot of weight, but he's still with us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek Work with Monsters so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Kent Enterman. When you first uh, found the supplier and then you made a phone call to them, right? What, what did you say to them? Because you're young. I mean, you really don't have a track market record yet, right? Well, there wasn't a lot of selling to do because these were hardcore, basically New Yorkish type guys. And they said, send us a check for $35,000 and we'll get your order started. And so there was no terms. There was no negotiating on price. It was, hey, if you show us your $35,000, we'll send you a container. If not- They send you a catalog or you just, we'll send you a container of uh, something? Yeah. Well, no, they, they did have a catalog and we could choose the images and we had to buy them in carton lots. But basically we had to send them a check before they would process the order. Did you fly up there? Or just sight unseen? No, I, uh, I've i run my business on trust a lot, uh, sometimes to my detriment. But um, no, did not fly up there. Huh, that's amazing. Well, when did you start with the framing? Oh, that's another good question. Basically what happened was we were selling $6 pictures and we dealt with other suppliers and it was 10 and 15 and 
thirty dollar. I mean, I didn't at the time you're in college and you're pinching pennies, and so you think, geez, people spend thirty dollars in artwork. That's a lot of money. Uh-huh. But uh, we'd come to find out later that that actually wasn't very much money. But then what I thought is, then I progressed into Koa frames. I said, well, if I could sell a Peggy Hopper frame for a hundred dollars in a Koa frame, once again, I always tried to back into my business models. At what price would people really buy a lot of something? And then I figure out, well, how can I afford to sell it for that? And so when I did that, I checked around with the other framers because I just wanted to sell art. I really didn't want to make it. But then when we couldn't sell it for the price that I wanted to, it forced us to have to make it to be able to give that value to our customers. So that, that's how the manufacturing started. So, so you initially started to add value by putting a fancy frame around this artwork. That, that was you know quasi so-so. And then you said, okay, let me just go into the frames. Well, actually what happened was that I think the value we're giving our customers by buying things by the container load, keeping our overhead low, not marking them up too much, but then that could only go so far. Then if we wanted to get more uh, proprietary into more of the local art scene, mm-hmm. that's when we had to manufacture things ourselves. So then we started giving the uh, value and selection with the local artwork. Now, they were much higher price points. I mean, now, now we're talking at the time, which seems so low today, it's $100 framed art. In core frames. So how do you avoid uh, confusion then? Because if you have certain low, lower-priced items, right, you know, bargain-type lower-priced items, and then now you add in a higher-priced um, good, a higher-priced, higher-quality. You're trying to give two marketing messages, but, you know, it's the same company. You know, like Toyota and Lexus, they, sp- they spun off Lexus. But yours right. are still Pictures Plus. Yeah, we, we're um, – and, and, you know, it depends on when you talk about when we were at the swap meet and when we went to the stores and that there's different uh, store looks that we had over the years too. But going back to the swap meet days, it was a matter of different price points for different customers. Now, the, the co-framed artwork, we'd maybe sell three or four or five a day. We wouldn't sell a ton of them. We'd sell maybe two or three or four hundred of the small, you know, $6 variety framed art. But we also knew that had a lifespan to it. That wasn't going to last forever. It was a little bit of a trendy thing. Sooner or later, people were going to get tired, and the perceived value of this item at $6 wasn't going to last forever before it became a $6 picture. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Feeling fine, we're staying cool on Hawaiian time. Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. Neptunites, For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubbletea.com. Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Greatergoodradio.com. 
You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Kent Enterman. In 1980, Kent was recruited out of the San Francisco Bay Area to play football for the University of Hawaii and later entered in the NFL. Because of a leg injury, he cut his NFL career short and started selling artwork at the Aloha Stadium swap meet. He took his NFL $5,000 signing bonus and turned it into a $14 million business known as Pictures Plus. Let's go into a little bit about your community work then. I mean, you're, you're doing things with the university. You're doing things with your employees. Can you talk a little bit more about that, in, I guess, in general? Yeah, I sure can. Um, everybody uh, always kind of hits us up for donations and so forth. And so it, what, what, we, what we did over the years was said, well, and they're all good, right? There's mm-hmm. not, I mean, every one sounds good. I mean, from the Aloha United Way to the Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you name it, they're all great causes and, and people working really hard at a lot of different things. So we had to try and, and figure out what we could do. Personally, I've always tried to channel my efforts into the University of Hawaii, specifically the football program, since that's something that I did. So what I, what I try to give back a little bit is just with the athletes today, you know, I'll give speeches every once in a while and talk to them about the importance of education just so that they get, at the end of the day, get their education out of the deal. Um, I think that that's really important. So, and, I, and I support the different facets of the University of Hawaii, once again, believing that we can't be all things to everybody, so we have to focus that. As far as our, uh, the rest of our company, we give through our employees. So we have a pretty open policy and we also have a policy we don't donate cash. We only donate merchandise. Um, and so if, if an employee is a member of or affiliated with some group or nonprofit organization, we will give through our employees. And that, and that way, hmm. we're kind of giving two, two ways. We're giving to our employees. Right? We're helping our employees, and we're helping the community. And so we, we feel that we can give we can get more bang for our buck giving through our employees. True, true. Are you finding that most of the employees are taking advantage of that? Uh, to, to to some degree, you know, you you have it kind of all. It's a lot of times the same employees, but we feel like we're still giving back to the community. We're giving through the employees. If some employees choose not to be a part of those organ, that's their prerogative. And so we do find that it's a fewer of them that are more active than a majority of them who are very active. But it's it's just hard living in Hawaii with families and trying to raise people and afford things. It's there's always not a lot of time to to do a lot of nonprofit work. Mm-hmm. So are you finding that? By talking with the football players, that's almost your chance to mentor them. Uh, yeah, that's. I've, I've had a few of them, which is really rewarding. You know, because sometimes you're, you're talking and you think, "Well, is this even registering?" And, and as I get older, it gets tougher, right? I mean, how do you stand up <laughs> there, old and gray? You know, twenty three years old, and tell them, "Hey, I was there. It seemed like yesterday." They're thinking, "Yeah, right, buddy. Mm-hmm. You know, you look pretty ancient right now." So you wonder if they're really registering, but I've had several of them come up and say, hey, you know, what you said was right on. It really inspired me, and, you know, I've never forgot it. Now I'm doing this and this and this, and thanks so much. And so it's like, hey, if, if I can help one guy, it was worth it, right? Do you have any one story maybe or so that, that seems to You know what? I'm bad with names. I'm trying to remember the, the, the name of the player who came up to me. It was probably about two years ago. I, I wish I did, but I'm sure he's doing very well right now. Um, based on what he was telling me about it. I don't recall his name. I apologize. Huh. That's interesting. How, how did you come about with this? Did you always have the community-minded thing in, from the beginning, or did it come about maybe further into your business career? I've always been into family and uh, giving back to the degree we can. Uh, so I've been asked by the coaches, you know, it's perceived from the outside that we're successful and we've had a successful business. And so 
the various coaches have asked me to come in and speak at different times, and so I've, I've always obviously you know supported that. I don't know if this is off track, but I recently talked to the dean of the College of Business at University of Hawaii, and I just graduated from the executive MBA program there as well. The thing that I, I, I thought was, if you're going to do business in a school, why not have them actually run businesses? You know, I thought, why don't you get, let's say, a restaurant running, a re- like, like they do at KCC. I mean, KCC can put together the menu. They can have the kitchen people there. They, they're training that already. And then why not get the MBAs, the accounting, the legal, the marketing, and people involved, people like yourself from the business community and faculty advisors. That way you do a number of things, right? You get revenue coming back to the school instead of leaving it. You can fund educations that way. Students get to network with people from various departments. And, you know, when they come out, they're just way better off because they've gone through it. Oh, I think that's a tremendous idea, Evan. I think, you know, like like any business plan, you know, executing, it's always the the, the difficult thing, right? And then, we're at. Yeah, and then, and then some continuity, right? I mean, in any, in any business, a lot of times businesses are, are built around – dynamic people. I mean, you take Walmart, for example, and it's, it's, a, it's a large example, but Sam Walton really set the trend there. And so that, that would be the only challenge is, is the perpetuity. I, th- I think the students and the energy, I mean, I think it's a fabulous idea. I think the hard part is how do you get it started and then how do you make sure that, that it goes to perpetuity because mm-hmm. otherwise there's can kind of be some ebbs and flow in, in the execution of it. Yeah. And and the other thing I was thinking is how do you bridge that gap, you know, between leaders like yourself that are almost, you know, more or less, I guess, middle-aged, I guess, but then also the people that are much older, you know, they've got a ton of information, they've got a lot of wisdom. And how do you bridge that gap between, you know, the college student or the high school student and make sure it's not lost? Right. Well, I, th- I think one of the keys would be that, that you would have to have someone perhaps like yourself that's passionate about the idea it's going to really see it through because you have to have that continuity. And if you have someone that's passionate about it, that sees the vision, that can share that vision and keep it all together, then it's as simple as figuring out what you need, right? Figuring out, hey, I need some older mentors. I need some younger mentors. I need more students that are going to get in the trenches. But I think from the outside, we'd all love, I mean, it would be a neat thing in the community to be able to go to a restaurant knowing, hey, I'm here, the food's great, the service is great, and these are all future business people in our community, and I'm mm-hmm. supporting them, and, hey, I left with a nice big meal, and it could be profitable. So, I, and, and I'm a big believer to support your idea and experience. I think that's one of the challenges with going to school. Um, I'll, I'll take the student who has great communication skills and is outgoing and, and has common sense over the, over the A, nerdy student. And- that would be me then. so where does your wife um play into all of this she started with you in the beginning was she doing i mean a lot of work and now she's still doing work or is she doing something else well i I guess i could speak from her perspective that she shared with me she basically says that i dream it all up and she does it all so and that's probably relatively accurate until (laughs) until recently she is a registered nurse by Mm -hmm. trade and she's incredible Incredibly well organized. She's the most organized person I've ever met. She's the most efficient working person I've ever met. So she ran our factory until about three and a half years ago, took a one and a half year hiatus and we were drowning. And so she came back and she's now been gone again for uh, six months to be with the kids. And so our plan is, is she's done and she has assured me that she's not coming back under any circumstances. <laughs> so, and that's okay. She deserves to be retired, but she played a huge role 
and the success to date. Um, and, and it's really her organizational skills as a, as a registered nurse, I think, that has helped us so much. How do you think it was working together, being married, and then also, you know, growing the business and your family at the same time? Because it sounds like you were married quite young. Uh, yeah, we were married a, a couple years out of uh, college. I think I was 25 and Lori was 23. Did you meet her at UH? Yep, sure okay. did. Yep. Local girl? Yep, she's from Kona. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I think has worked well is that our strong suits are, are opposite. She's in, she's very. I'm very visionary. She's very well organized. She's a doer. I'm a dreamer. So there's the synergies were very good. I think where it's hard is when you have, say that we're both business-minded people, which she is not. She's not a business-minded person. Then we would have different ideas, and it would probably be a, a lot more conflict potentially. But we never had, as far as the family went, she always went in very early, like 2 o'clock in the morning. I took the kids to school. Then she would pick the kids up, and we always put her kids first, so our kids were never, you know, neglected. We were like, as she says, you know, ships passing in the dark, so we had to work <laughs> hard to make sure that we didn't didn't wander. But I think that it's because of the synergies that we have between each other, and that we are very different, that it really helped. But it could be a disaster if that weren't the case. And although you were ships passing at that time, it's all worth it now. Oh, absolutely, and and we 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 worked real hard to make sure that we took time. Every Friday, we would have a, a date day. You know, Before the kids got out of school, we'd carve it out, turn our cell phones off, and spend time together. And that was really important. Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio Hawaii.